Greetings, little one. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Bad witch! I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! What makes you think she's a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt! A newt. What's thou like to live deliciously? Got better. Dost thou comprehend? Welcome to Real Magic, the podcast at the crossroads of real witchcraft and Hollywood magic, where paganism and the supernatural meet their reflections in movies and television, and where we talk about what real magical or life lessons we can learn from fictional witches from 100 years of moving pictures. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. Hi there, witches and weirdos, and welcome to another episode of Real Magic. I'm your host, Jessica Mason, and I'm so happy that you've joined me for another episode where we're going to talk about magic and paganism and all that wonderful stuff in pop culture. And oh boy, I'm so excited for our episode today because we're talking to a wonderful actress from one of my favorite magical series of all times. That's right, we have with us today Brittany Curran here from the sci-fi channel series The Magicians. This is just one of my favorite shows ever. It's right up there with Supernatural for me. Love it so much. So sad it's over, but loved the entire arc they had. So I'm so excited to talk with Brittany today. There are a lot of different ideas in movies and televisions and in magical practice even about where our magic comes from. But one of the simplest and most poignant of those explanations is offered by the magicians. And it was that magic came from pain This wild, incredibly creative show, magic often stood in for the pain of growing up and truly becoming an adult and finding your identity and power. Brittany Curran played the character of Fen, who was a native of the Narnia-esque world of Fillory and one of the pretty much the main major character who didn't have magic, actually. But even so, Fen's growth was incredible and Brittany was awesome on the show and she has some incredible insights into the show that I can't wait for you to hear. So without further ado, please welcome Brittany Curran to the Real Magic Podcast. I lucid dreamed. I saw a woman in a green hood. She has to be the one giving me premonitions. Awesome. You got it working. A plus. B minus. Unless you tell us where this green bitch went. Well, in my dream, I chased her to this stream by the fuchsia forest of Corian's land. (gasps) Corian's land? Also known as Slot's Pain. I don't know what everything in my dreams means. Mean. Anyway, I know that the answers to our questions, answers lie, lay there. <laughs> I, I'm not usually the one who gives the big speech, so I'm, I'm going. So that, that's happening. Welcome, Brittany Curran, to the Real Magic Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank about you. Oh, of course. The second we come in, my sound um, just cut out. But thank you. I think you said something about the magician. So excited to be here. Yeah, that, that's the show we're talking about. I think you're familiar with it. I'm a little familiar, yeah. <laughs> um, but before we talk about that, I always like to ask my guests like a kind of icebreaker question ooh, back in ooh, summer camp. Like, what? Um, for most of my guests, like there was always like a movie that sort of made them want to be magical. Was there like, did you have a favorite magical movie growing up that made you want to like cast spells in the backyard or make potions in the garden, you know, inspired you to be like a magical person or believe in magic? 
I first, I love that question. I always, you know, being an actor, like what movie inspired you to become an actor and stuff. And I never, so I love the twist on this about getting into like magic and magically things. Cause now I'm just like the memory of all these magical movies is pouring back into my mind. Um, oh, I love that. Okay. Um, well, maybe I really loved Casper, you know, the Christina Ricci yeah. movie. And I know there's not like witchiness in that so much it's, ma- it's supernatural but it's like supernatural and it's magic and you know the big um you know m- mansion in Maine on the cliff there's something I think like witchy about that and mystical about that and I that was one of the movies that definitely got me into the love of that type of genre and that type of feel I guess I, I mean I still love that movie it holds oh. up so well in my opinion and I watch it all year round um and then for maybe more like for magic specifically, I mean, I, Harry, I mean, I, I know it feels like such a predictable answer, but like Harry Potter, you know, the first book came out when I think I was in third grade. And so I read the first book and then, and then I started watching the movies and I just started to um, <laughs> practice my powers a little bit. Like I remember, like, I don't know that much about witchcraft. I know I love it. And I know that a lot of my friends are witches. So I remember being in like my classroom in like second grade. And I'm trying to think about the movie that would have inspired this. But I remember thinking to myself, wait, I've never told the story actually before. I never thought about this until right now. Um, I remember thinking, wait, maybe, I don't know that I don't have powers. Like maybe I do, I've never tried. Like there's a first for everything, right? And I remember thinking that the power that I wanted to start with was moving a pencil um, with like my mind, you know? So I remember like really concentrating on a pencil, maybe on someone else's desk. And I swear it moved. I'm sure it was because the, I don't think when I was in second grade, over, I hadn't read anything about anything. And I was just like, no, maybe telepathically I can do yeah. this thing. But I remember trying to like make things move with, and I'm trying to think about what made me think to do that. I remember like for for me there's that scene in the craft at the very beginning of the movie where she's holding up the pencil and like balancing it and then it sort of balances on its own and starts moving and like I tried that so many thousands of times (laughs) in in class and you know still try but that's one of my favorite scenes in that movie like how subtle that magic is in that moment. I love and I love how identifiable the pencil is too because like yeah. everyone uses a pencil, right? Everyone's tried to move a pencil young. with their mind, I think. I, I like that we all have connections to pencils from yeah. childhood. This is really good. Yeah, it's, and I it's love so, that movie. And it's so tragic that the author of Harry Potter has just disappeared from existence, and the books are just themselves now. Oh well, <laughs> it's just they're ours now. We have custody. Speaking um, of magic, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, just she just you know, apparated herself out of that fandom magic magic yeah so I know that you were you know, I know I try to take things is you know just yeah. compartmentalize and, and yes as and we I, as we must with so much of which is with life really I if I don't yeah. compartmentalize my own brain sometimes it's just well, I mean, a mess you know this part of, as like a working actor that mm-hmm. there are like a lot of shows and movies that have some really jerk people behind the scenes yes. you have to be like okay well it's a good show not my favorite person is producing it or whatever that's exactly that's, honest, as it is. that's like the main thing that I've thought about during this whole time is like because I have I've worked on a lot of productions mostly with really good people and a few times with some real real um god I don't know if you can swear on this podcast but just real oh, you can. Yeah. okay real like 
you know, fuck wads. I don't know, just some type of terrible thing. And I have to think to myself, all right, well, if I, this show means a lot to me or this movie, and this person is a real horrible person or is a, or something about them is like, just not good. And I thought, but you know, I've still put work into the film and all the other people have put work into it. And so if so, if like we all, if this, if the joy of this art that we made got completely shelved because one person is horrible. Like, I'm like, I get it. And I get that sometimes you have to separate because of a person. And I totally respect that. But then there's the other side of like, we're all here too, though. And like a lot of other people worked on it. And like, it really is that so many things are a labor of love, some more than others. But I don't know. I try to see in the good in it and that side. Well, also respecting people's boundaries with. with yeah. Bye. And like, for me, like as like doing journalism and just being a person who sort of like watch a lot of shows, does yeah. some interviews and like, I can tell like when the set <laughs> is a happy place <laughs> and when the actors are like being genuine, like, yeah, we're really like a family. And sometimes you're like, that's a talking point. And other times you're like, no, you guys seem to really like each other. And I feel like magicians definitely seem like a set where you guys were having a great deal of fun and love on that set. We did. We did have a lot. We did have a lot of fun on that show. Yeah. And there was a lot of love and there was like, Oh, there, there's still so many people from that show that I uh, talk to and hang. I see Stella Maeve all the time um, and, uh, and other people too. I'm still friends also with a lot of the writers and the producers. We just, they're so fun. You would probably yeah. love them, especially oh. like, like the, um, like the witchy stuff and all the magic, like you would, uh, oh, yeah. you would love, you would get along very well with them. Uh- and it's Sarah Gamble, of course, you know, because yeah. I know you love you, your book. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, a, I'm quite familiar with her work. <laughs> She's actually the only Supernatural um, showrunner I haven't actually ever talked to. I've talked to like Kripke and Jeremy oh, wow. Carver and Andrew Dobb. I've never met Sarah in person, but I'm sure she's, she's I can't wait to meet her one wonderful, day. Wonderful, wonderful person. I absolutely love Sarah. Yeah. So when you, so let's talk about the magicians because that's what we're here today. That's one of my... <laughs> I know, just Thanks. nerding out. I'll just yeah. keep talking about I know, shows like, that I like. <laughs> I Well, I love The Magicians. It's such a fun show. Like I try and explain to people, it's like, it's kind of got some Harry Potter and it's got yeah. magic school, but it's also kind of Narnia, but very grown up version of both of those. Yeah, there's a lot of sex. <laughs> there's a lot of sex. There's a lot of murder. There's a lot there's, of murder. There's a lot of, there's some opium in the air and the filler. Yeah, there's yeah, all there sorts is. of... <laughs> it's a very grown up but it's like it's kind of that scary part of magic and it's the idea of the magic in this show is you know magic comes from pain and magic mm-hmm. comes from emotion and it's about like processing pain and trauma through the lens of magic and also becoming an adult I think that's sort of the main gist yeah. of the whole series is like learning your magic is like learning to be a competent grown-up and some people don't survive yeah to that that stage yeah yeah exactly so you came in in season two but your character was introduced in season one <laughs> yes it was very confusing for me when I first yeah so what was like the casting process like because they were kind of making that character Ben your character mm-hmm. more important and because she's sort of introduced as sort of a aside at the end of season yeah. one and then she becomes much more important throughout the series so what was your yeah. casting process like to get here were you did you watch the other actress did you read the books I didn't even know there was another actress. I just read okay. this at first. I knew, I, then I figured it out. Um, it took me like a, an embarrassing long amount of time to do so, but I hadn't seen the show before I auditioned. I remember seeing a billboard for it up near Universal because I live relatively close to Universal. And um, I remember seeing a billboard 
for it and thinking, oh, that, I just, I always loved the image. It was the image from the first season of the girl floating. Yeah, Stella, like. Yeah, it's not Stella though. It's It's not Stella? Oh. No, I, we all know. I don't know why it's not Stella. It's some, it's some random individual on this planet who no one knows. Um, It was, it was created probably before the series actually shot and it's a great. I know, I'm like, did they take a stock image? I mean, they didn't, but I don't even, I don't even know. I wish it was Stella. Um, No offense to that girl. I just don't. She doesn't have anything to do with the show. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I remember always seeing that billboard just like really like loving, just like I was really about the image that always yeah. drew me to it. And I always loved it. And I always meant to watch the show. There's just so much good television. Uh, we're in a golden so, age. So much. Yeah, I'm like, I can't even, I don't, ah, there's so much stuff. But um, yeah, so I knew of the show, but I hadn't seen it. So I got the audition for it and I, um, I was brought in to go straight to read straight for like for the producers and stuff because I already knew casting a little bit um uh Carrie and in them and uh so when I got the audition I was filming another movie at the time and the audition happened to be on one of the few days I had off from this other movie but because of that I didn't really have time to maybe do as much research as I normally would for an audition because I'm really into research but I did watch the pilot episode I always make sure to watch an episode of something if I'm trying to come into something so I know the tone and I immediately was like oh my god this is awesome <laughs> it's a great pilot it's a great pilot I loved the pilot I, I and I, I I kind of fell in love with it right away and um yeah so I went in for the audition um at the the studio and I mean we film up in Vancouver but the like the writer's office and the producers mm-hmm. are down in in LA so I went to to the writer's office to the production office or no not the production but the writer's office to um do my audition and I went in and I did, I did my two scenes. Um, and then I realized, I don't even, I don't, again, I told the story and I still can't figure out how this happens. Um, Cause it sounds so stupid, but the cast, whoever was reading with me, it might've been Carrie, um, like turned over the page after I thought I was done and to, and I saw they had a third scene in their hands and I was like, no. what? And I don't even understand how I missed, I've never, I've been, I mean, at that point, I've been, I've been acting now for like 20 years. At that point, I've been like, what, 15 years? I've never missed a scene. I still don't understand how that's physically possible. So I just told her, I was like, oh, there's a third scene. Um, and I was like, I didn't know. I was like, I don't, I have no excuse. Um, and I asked, I said, can I just go into the lobby and look at it real quick? And everyone was so nice. So they gave me the third scene and I went out and I quickly went over it. Of course, it was a scene that was like a bit of crying. It was the most emotional scene oh, naturally. No. And I was like, oh, good, good. All my prep work will really be good for this. And I went in and, and I just kind of like let go. Um, and, and I think I went, I mean, obviously it went well, I got it. I mean, I left thinking, wow, well, I kind of blew that, didn't I? Um, and then I got the offer a, f- a few days later. And then a week later I was in, um, I was flown to Canada and, and then, and then, yes, that is around the time I found out that I, that, that Fenn was originally played by another actress, because I remember getting the script, script 201, um, you know, the first script of season two, and I remember reading my character's intro into the episode thinking, this is a very bizarre intro. <laughs> this makes, ha- did, have I been here before? And I couldn't, because I hadn't had time to finish the whole first season yet. And so finally I was like, wait a second am I a recast? And then that brilliant idea. And I was like, oh, okay. And so then I found out that, um, that I was the second fan and that made a lot more sense to my confusion. So, um, yeah, so I finished the series and I didn't base my performance on the other actress. Um, 
just because I just don't, I don't think that would be I, not, it was, she was lovely. It's just, I just wanted to bring my own. And, you know, I'd gone into the audition with a perspective on the character that I felt good about it, that I felt good about. And obviously they did because they gave me the job. And so I just kind of brought her from there. And then of course, Fen just kind of um, transforms and blossoms and, you know, like any human changes naturally. So it, it took a big turn from my own original perspective anyways. Yeah. And it's uh, very different from the books. Cause I think Finn dies pretty early in the books. She's like a completely different character. Yeah. I remember like I was at the gym, <laughs> this thing I used to do. I, was at I, re- the I remember those. Oh, the gyms, the tiring. I know. It's like, oh, I just remember exhaustion. But I remember like getting out of the gym in the morning. And it's also when I used to wake up earlier. Um, <laughs> kind of real lazy uh, during the pandemic. But um, and think and and realizing that it was also but again, this all happened so fast. That's why I, I'm just like discovering all these things. I so I discovered that the show is based on a series of books, which I was psyched about because I love to read. I love books. I've always wanted to be in something based off a book, any book. And um, so I remember getting out of the gym and thinking, oh, I want to order these books right now because I have to leave the country in a few days and I want to read as much as I possibly can. So I remember like reserving um, the, the three books at Barnes and Noble and Studio City and like leaving the gym and just driving there and picking up the books and um, immediately starting to read them. And I remember like reading the Fen part and she comes in, I, yeah, this is a spoiler for the yeah, book. It's okay. The book's okay. going to go full spoilers because I want to talk yeah, about so- how awesome Fen was in the final season too. So. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm like, God, I hope that nobody would listen to this episode if they yeah. don't want a spoiler on the magicians. It's been almost like a year and a half since it wrapped. Like, Yeah, oh, plus, yeah. yes, we've been, we've given a kind amount of time. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember reading the book and Fen literally like, is, yeah, it's a completely different character altogether. Um, I mean, she is Florian. She does have um, knives. Knives, yeah. She's skilled with weaponry, and um, but she dies in twenty pages. But I remember reading that and thinking, <clears throat> but my agent told me that I was going to do at least seven episodes. How does so? I just started thinking business wise. I was like, how does this make sense? How are these twenty pages going to be seven? And then of course I, you know figured out that it was a very different character but I'm glad that I didn't die right away yeah the I have not read the books yet I really want to they're on like my giant to be read pile but I love the series so much and the books are just the series is just wildly different from the books it just takes off in all sorts of different ways like Julia has a completely different Mm -hmm. plot line I don't think I don't think Quentin dies in the books. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you know what I actually didn't quite finish them, and it's not because they're not great. I just it's have just so different. Yeah. With completing things, I <laughs> know it's just going to go totally psychological, and it got to a point where I, I didn't need it for my own work on the show, and so I um I got a little lazy and I didn't finish them, and I need to start completing things more. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I understand. <laughs> And like I said, like book, I have a pile of like seven books high of like finish this book. So you and um, I have the same pile then, apparently. Yeah, but it's like they the series is just sort of takes it like the basis from the books and just sort of yeah. goes off on its own very yeah. different trajectory. And like I think the character of Finn is like a perfect example of that because like you said, she's like there for twenty pages mm-hmm. and she dies. But in your like you were four or five seasons. Well, I guess five seasons for Fen, four for you. Yeah, five for Fen and four for me. Yeah. Like 
but especially starting when you joined, like she has this incredible different arc. She gets pregnant, loses a baby, her arc with the fairies, mm-hmm. and she just grows so much as a character. And I love that about this series because it sort of is a series kind of about like empowering the side characters. Like there's even an episode yes. about like how important it is to not pay attention to your white male protagonist. Like everyone else has usually yeah. got a more interesting story. Six short stories about magic. I think that's the name oh, of that yeah. episode. I mean, they're just, they, they got so creative on that show. It was so yeah. beautiful. Now, you were also involved in some of the musical episodes. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. What did yeah. you, what do you get, well, how do you feel as an actor when you're like, guess what? <laughs> musical number, and we're going to do this every, we're going to start doing it every season. Yeah, I love as an actor how, <clears throat> you know, what I do for a profession is act, obviously, but then there's all these other things you're like, do this too, um, and which I love. Um, even if it's scary sometimes um, or intimidating because, you know, singing can be very intimidating, for instance. But yeah, I remember finding out I had the musical episode um, that that was coming up. And one of our producers, I think it was Mitch, one of our producers emailed me and I'm assuming sent the same email to everybody <laughs> and asked me, he's like, hey, Britt, um, you'd like, let me know about the musical episode. And he pretty much said, he's like, on a scale from one to 10, how good of a singer are you? <laughs> because they were trying to get a sense of yeah how much auto to like what, like how they were going to prepare. Because again, they didn't know. I think they knew a few people. I think they knew like Hale could sing, but I don't know. They didn't know, especially not me because I was new to the cast. And so actually maybe I am the only one that got that email now that I think about it. Um, but yeah, so I, I remember asking my, well, my boyfriend at the time, but he's my fiance now. I remember asking him, I was like, scale from one to 10. I was like, what, how good of a singer am I? I was like, I don't know. And I can't remember what number he said at the time. I think he might've said like seven, maybe six. I don't know. Cause he's also, I was like, be brutally honest with me right now. Cause this is going to be on TV. And um, so, yeah, I just like, I, I like hired a voice coach myself. And cause I, I've been singing since I was a kid, but I haven't been like consistently training all of those years, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. And, um, but I love, I've always loved to sing. I was very shy about it when I was younger. And, um, and so, yeah, I hired this voice coach and I just quickly took some lessons in the week leading up to it. And then, uh, and then, yeah, I did the, the, and it was so much fun. And honestly, it was really the one day more musical number. Yeah. That got, yeah, it was so, God, it was so great. Yeah. How are you back. a theater Les nerd? Like all of us, like, yeah, you know, I'm so like, I just, when, I, when that started, I'm like, oh my God, it's, it's one of my favorite musicals and one of my favorite shows. This is just so, it's, oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> Yay. I'm so happy because I was so happy. And it was, I was like, when I, when Fen like comes out into the throne room in Castle White Spire, like singing. And I was just thinking to myself, oh, what a moment. This is such a dream. And uh, it was so much fun. That day was so, or actually, I guess it was a couple of days, but it was so much fun. And it really did. It, that was the moment that kind of inspired me to start getting back into um, um, singing again and actually like working on it. And I realized that my voice was maybe better than I thought it was. I'm, I've always been good at not always giving myself credit for things <laughs> and um, in underestimating myself. Sound familiar, right? A bit like Fen. Um, Fen helped me discover that as well. And so I thought, oh, I actually, I have more singing talents than I realized I did. And maybe I should keep developing this because I love it and it's fun and that's a good enough reason to do anything. And so um, it's funny, last night, actually, 
in my living room, which you're looking at right now, I was, um, I was practicing my singing for the day and I was singing some Les Mis numbers. Yes. So Les Mis is in my heart very much. I love that you love Les Mis, obviously oh, yeah. too as well. Like, I've got my, my, my favorite is Phantom of the Opera. That's like oh. my heart and soul is Phantom. Um, but I Les Mis is always that. like the other big eighties French musical. And so I think I have a of portrait like, of the Phantom of the Opera up in my, in my bedroom. Oh my goodness. We'll, we, we'll talk Phantom sometime. Cause I could talk <laughs> Phantom for like a long time. I love that. I love um, it. Um, yeah. I love, love it. It's just, I, I was an opera major in oh. college because of Phantom and then I ended really? up doing all sorts of other stuff, but yeah, I actually studied opera because I loved music and singing so much. And Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think Meryl Streep studied opera too. Oh I yeah. Think. I, God, if of I'm course wrong, she did. She's, she's can do anything. She, I mean, she can, she can do yeah. everything. I feel like that's what she, anyways. So. But you and Meryl. I just loved also like how you guys kept coming back to musicals and how like the voices, like everyone's singing voice fit their character so well. Yeah, I agree. It's like, especially like Jade, let's, can we just have a moment to like gush about Jade Taylor and her voice and just her as a, in general, like Katie as yeah. a character and everything. Like I love every character, but like she just was another one of those characters. Just- yeah, no, her voice is just so powerful and um, it just fits Katie like so much and just incredible, just incredible yeah. to see her sing, to sing live on set too is so much fun. Yeah, she's just, yeah. So there's so many characters just, I love that the show allowed characters to really change and grow. Yes. Like there's so many shows that like, you know, run for a long time and like the character evolution is really slow or just like nothing doesn't happen because you don't want to mess yeah people are what works. Afraid to, yeah and but this care like everyone was constantly growing and changing in the magicians and you saw it in the musical numbers and how you know eventually you're doing a whole musical episode and yeah. it just was such a bold show and took so many big risks yeah they really did and I, I love the writers for that and, and you know they they had like a roadmap for the whole for each season in the series um like like you would with any tv show especially one based on books so that was good and but they also yeah they felt free to um to do their own take on it and also to take what like us as actors were bringing to the roles too which i always think like when writers and, and directors and stuff kind of you know do see it as a co- collaboration which it is but when they do see it as a collaboration i feel like that brings out because sometimes that, whatever um, I'm supposed to go on a rant about some stupid actor shit um but um that's what brings out the best in characters is because you know we get to, the writers get to know us and they get to like they start like kind of writing to our own voices which I think brings out different elements of the characters as well and that it kind of gives a natural evolution to the character because us as human being like real people are evolving and changing and 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 developing hopefully and I, I've seen the writers definitely on this show, like saw that whether it was conscious or subconscious, which I think both ways is cool and would kind of write that into our characters. I can't tell you how many times, especially like after second season, when I started to get to know them where I would read a line, I'd get like the new script and I, I would read something that Fen said. And I'm like, are, are the writers trying to like send me a message about something about me that I should be working on or like oh my god I just 
discovered this thing about me because of this line or there's things that they'd write and I'd be like oh well that just straight up sounds like something I would say to the writers and I love how I feel like that just gives so much more life and reality to the characters because they they just know how to bring it all together so well and and let us develop yeah they wrote to the actors so well and you have like incredible cast and it was so well cast like from the beginning like just incredible casting like Hale and Jason Mm -hmm. and Stella and everyone was just in um I'm forgetting Alice's name. Olivia. <laughs> Olivia. Okay. Yeah, Olivia. Yeah. Um, they're just so perfect in these roles. And I think you were, you know, much love to the previous actress, but you brought so much to Fen that like the sort of like fun, kind of quirky energy to Fen that I think is very you. Like it, yes, that is that is very accurate. She slowly turned more and more into me as the seasons went on. <laughs> and I think that that's like a, great as writers to sort of lean into where the strengths of their actors and let them inform the character and um just let everyone get weird oh I forgot like summer incredible like watching her like every character on the magicians just grew in such incredible ways and like on the show magic is very much sort of a metaphor for like maybe your like competency at being an adult yeah and it you know the amount of magic in the world changes every season yeah. And it's like, how do you get that kind of power? How do you get access to being an adult or being just, you know, a person who could function in society? Yeah. And, but the great thing about Fen was she was like our biggest non-magical character, but she also like learned how to be a grown up and how to be a leader. And yeah. that was so interesting to watch. And she went through as much loss and grief as everyone or any of those like darker stories, like hard for you or just like help you grow like because Fen like loses a child she gets sold to the fairies she loses her toes yeah (laughs) yeah yeah like that's a that was a tough that was like a tough arc for her yeah yeah (laughs) yeah no Fen really um she goes from like comic to not yeah Fen went through the ringer um and I I love how they gave her so much horrible traumatic stuff while also you know coming back to the comedy because I think that's kind of how life is is you know it's, you gotta laugh to so you won't cry <laughs> laugh yeah like life is combination of both and, and and I um yeah with Fen like yeah getting kidnapped and then having her baby taken away and all of the other you know being tricked into the deal to get and all these things I was like wow Fen is really it's funny because Fen seems, especially from the beginning, like quite docile and for lack of a better word, weak, right? Like, I, but I'm putting that judgment on her on purpose because that's almost like the appearance of what she is and maybe how she sees herself. And then, but then when you think about it and when she obviously started thinking about it, you're like, oh, this person that seems like they're just kind of like going along with the flow. And even though she does a bit, actually is incredibly resilient and has been has gone through so much and made it through and and which is the same thing in life too like I think we can we all underestimate ourselves a lot but then if you take a second and look back and you're like oh my gosh I I did this and that and I made it through this and that and if you had told me a year ago that I'd have to do this I I think maybe I wouldn't be up for the challenge and look, look here I am now and I think that's kind of what Fen had to discover with her own strength. And then she finally, finally kind of stood up for her, or not kind of, she finally did stand up for herself in season five, which was uh, with like the world um, seed and just filler being destroyed and whatnot. And I was so happy for that scene because um, 
I don't know. It was just a good lesson for uh, for me. Like there was this one scene in what was it? Episode, uh, season four, maybe when we I was talking to like the cat lady um, yeah. woman and, like, and the, the quest with Margot. Yes, the quest with Margot. Yeah. Oh my god, that was one of my favorite episodes to do. Yeah, that's um, great. That was so much fun. And uh, there's this the, where the cat lady, the cat lady. I know she has more of a name than that. I just can't remember now. Asks Fen. She says, "Fen, do you value yourself?" And Fen says, "Yes, of course I do." Well, wait. Well, I think. I, I really should, I can't remember the exact line, but I remember reading that line um, in my apartment in Vancouver and like like starting to cry because I realized that I had issues with valuing myself and that my initial response would be like, of course I value myself, I'm me. And then I'm like, wait, what is that? Oh, oh. <laughs> and um, that was kind of a turning point for my own personal mental health in a good way to discover that. But now I've completely lost track of your original question. I'm talking Just, about cat ladies and mental oh, health. That's fine. <laughs> It's, we go where the story takes us. Like, um, I just say, yeah, I was just saying how I love these characters, how they grow. And I saw, you yeah. see that with Ben, you see that with like every character on the show and they grow yeah. through a lot of trauma, just so much trauma on the show. But yeah. we can talk about like the final season because I was so, I loved how hopeful and beautiful the final episode was. And like with Ben, I love for one thing, like how she, for those who haven't watched it, Ben, um, smuggled out the world seed in a very intimate area and I just thought that's just it was just perfect for it was just so in tone with the show so perfect but she like she literally carried fillery the new fillery like in her I carried it all right (laughs) and but then like that final scene where you're like recreating fillery is you're like talking about making a new world and I remember the first time I saw Pegasus. I was 10. Only in Fillory. I remember the first time I saw my dad use magic to make a knife. And then he wouldn't show me because I am a girl. I remember my dad gave me away to a stranger. And that's where I realized Fillory kind of sucks sometimes. What are you doing? I'm talking about my Fillory. That place could be uh, backwards as shit. And I'm thinking, I don't want to replicate that. We kind of need a wellspring, so. Right. Can't I just have the best of Fillory? The best of us, of Earth. Plus the best those cool movies Todd and I watched. (laughs) That's the home I want. That's what we deserve. You and like the other characters end up there at the end. You're sort of like these sort of almost like new gods, really. And like Ben's basically like this mother goddess of Fillory. And she's almost probably has like the biggest arc. And it means so much because she's not magical. And she's the only one from Fillory. And it was just like, I'm like, oh, yes. I was crying so much. Yes. <laughs> you totally get her. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. Yeah, Fen is the only of, of the main cast um, is the only uh, of the 10 of us is the only non, non-magical one. And believe me, yeah. I did ask the writers a thousand times pathetically to give me magic. I would beg them. But I now I'm, but that was more of a selfish thing because I wanted yeah. to like special effects around me and whatnot. But 
I am glad that she was she was non-magical because like kind of going along to with what you were saying earlier about magic um in a sense being an allegory for adulthood and for for you know um just our own personal development and our abilities and whatnot everything really is that I love that 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 Fen is the character that doesn't have magic because it kind of you know I feel like everyone wants magic of course like that would be so fun and I think the idea of like oh if I had I mean even in like our real world earth yeah. earth here like if I had magic like imagine how much easier things would be or how much more exciting life would be or how much cooler better of a person I would be but just like we found out on the magicians especially when like like Quentin has one of that beautiful speech and I think season four is it like yes these things are cool but like it has to come your own goodness or power and like you know metaphorical power has to come from within because if yeah. you're if you can if 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 you're if you can't have it come from within then all the external power and magic in the world isn't going to make you happy and so i think it's this idea of like yeah it would be fun to have magic i mean of course it'd be fun to have magic but for fen like she didn't she didn't need magic to become the best version of herself yeah. and and that does kind of feel like an allegory for life. Like, you know, I don't know whether it's money or a job or um, a, a boss or your, your, how your body looks or how your voice, whatever it is, the thing that you don't like about yourself. It's like, well, you can still be the best version of yourself, even if you don't currently possess this, I, this thing, this external thing yeah. that you want. And I think that was a good thing because, yeah, Ben helped create a world and she didn't have magic. And, and yeah, the mother, like a mother goddess, because what a nice circle they, yeah. they brought back to a close because she wanted to be a mom so bad and she lost her baby and then she ended up like being the mother of this world and I always I always loved how they how they did that for yeah fun. I love like what you're saying because like as a, a person who practices witchcraft and magic in life yeah. like you know it's not enough just to like light a candle or do a spell like you have to like put the work in too yeah. and you have to like have your kind of ideas aligned like you can't just say okay I'm gonna cast a money spell and then you have to like go apply for a job like you have yeah, to, yeah. it's just like you're putting your finger on the scale but you have to do more than just like that you have to take some concrete action and it has to come from like you know a good place yes and you know, absolutely and so that's yeah it's not the, just that's the, the, yeah. right yeah more than just the this singular action itself it's like what comes from within you and then what you choose to do yeah exactly right and it's also like it's about balance about working with like the world you're in and the natural you know the rhythms of nature and the realities of the world you have to kind of work with them and try not working against them is very much harder than trying to work with them yes that's so well said that just gave me the chills a little bit that's such a good point. Yeah, it's not working against it because that's not going to help anything. It's accepting what you have here and then using that to, to go forward. Exactly. Um, I actually want to go back to some of the fairy stuff. Now, yeah. one of the reasons I love this fairy stuff with Ben and in general in series is I think it's one of the best um, depictions of like fairies as they appear in a lot of folklore. Yeah, yeah. Fairies and folklore are scary. Like yeah. they're, they're, they're uh, you know, I don't want to, they're, they're lovely, good folk who, you know, <laughs> all around don't want to say anything. Okay. I'm sure you but, want to offend the fairies. Too yeah. much. <laughs> um, but like we've had like um, Morgan Daimler is a guest we've had on here and she talks a lot about how, you know, the uh, typical Tinkerbell fairies you see are a very kind of pared down, 
you know, easy version of, but the folk, yeah. there is a folklore. They would take your child in folklore. They would like tempt you into another world and children would grow up. And they, did you read any of that folklore or were you into that before the fairy um, plot with Ben? I, I definitely loved um, the folklore and like fairy tales and original fairy tales, which are all like, I mean, just all of it is so much more horrifying. So horrifying. Than- <laughs> it's so terrible but like terrible like in a great way but like in a scary way um yeah I remember like finding out the real stories over the years behind like Disney movies because I really love Disney movies um obviously as you can tell from my personality and <laughs> I remember being like oh my god this is all horrible this is this all comes from so much tr- like just terrifying stories um which is cool though because I really like dark you know, fucked up shit. And so it really works out for me. Um, but yeah, I, it's funny. I didn't know. I definitely read like folklore and fairy tales growing up. Randomly. I read a lot of Greek mythology. Um, uh, teenager. Oh, yay. yeah, yeah. So when like the gods come in and like where that comes from, I've read a lot of Greek, a lot of Greek mythology. <laughs> um, and I, I not read as much about fairies in folklore, um, enough to like know about their that they don't all look like Tinkerbell um but I uh I didn't even you know I didn't even think to read more fairy folklore during the fairy part during like the fairy season for Fen um what a good idea that would have been well I just loved I that like seven years ago <laughs> like oh, damn the casting and the look of the fairies and just the way they did it was so unique it's something you hadn't seen before but it was also resonated so well with like the unearthliness and the folklore and the kind of you know did these are beings with their own agency and yeah I also liked how like the both the story of Fillory and the story of the fairies was sort about like colonization and oh yeah totally like indigenous resources yeah. and basically like the way that the people of the earth you know it's the kings come from earth and all the Florians like why why is this why is it this way though? why this is like well how come these outsiders get to rule us yeah like who put that in place like this is terrible it's a terrible idea on so many levels it's yeah and, and like yeah and then Ben and and everybody else like coming to terms with the fact that you know the, the this is the, the fairies are residents were the original residents of this area. And, and like you were saying with colonization, um, I like how, yeah, the writers bring in all these really important real life things, but through the lens of, um, you know, fantasy, which I think is always such a good way to tell stories because it takes people's preconceived ideas more out of what they already think about this world by putting it through a fairy tale or like a science fiction-y lens or something. And I, I love how they did that with the fairies. And the fairies are so... It's funny, like they're so um, beautiful, but also kind of terrifying. There's something very uncanny yeah. about them. And and like Mogli, our costume designer, did such a great job. And the make, um, actually didn't really work with them, but like the make- makeup special effects people who did all the character design on their faces and, and their hair and stuff were just so amazing. Um, and, and yeah, so like costumes and hair and makeup were also just such a huge part of those characters and who they were. And um and I just loved seeing the fairies on set was so funny, especially when they couldn't sit down. There was a period, <laughs> it wasn't funny for them. There was a period <laughs> early in the season where their the outer layer, like the outer shell of their fairy outfits was very um, 
uh, just stiff. And so like Candace, Candace Kane, who played obviously the fairy queen, <laughs> she couldn't really sit. <laughs> Oh, no. Did she have to like do have one of those boards like one of those boards, boards from like thirties? Yeah. yeah, like pretty much. She'd like and I don't even know how. And they ended up finding a way to like get the same exact like, like you know formed look, but without it being super stiff. But there was a period of time where fairies weren't sitting down on set; they were just standing and tired the whole <laughs> the whole time. I'm laughing like an asshole, but um, it was a little funny. But the first time I saw. Um, don't worry. I was not perfectly comfortable myself the whole time either and all the costumes and stuff. So I also, you know, laughed at my own pain. Um, don't I always, but I remember the first time I met Candace outside of her, her fairy makeup was in the airport in Vancouver. And cause we would like fly back and forth between Vancouver and LA. And I was like, Candace, cause I'd only seen her with all of the stuff on because yeah, the sparkles. Would, yeah. Cause she would be on set like, you know, two or three hours before any other, anyone else because that um her and the makeup team because that took a long long time to get on and then she would be there after as, uh, as well as all the other fairies to have it all taken off because there's so much stuff mm -hmm. on her and so yeah I didn't actually see her real self for several episodes um until I was in the airport and I was like it's Candace <laughs> but without like the black contacts in and the the slicked back hair and whatnot and uh and yeah, so we like ate at a Canucks sports bar and the Vancouver airport and hung out and it was, it was fun. It was weird though. She wasn't a fairy though. It was, I got so familiar with the fairiness. <laughs> do you, who do you think had like the most uncomfortable or hardest costume process? Some probably some like the animal looking or like, you know, Dominic with the horns as. Yeah, Amber. I know. <laughs> that, yeah, I know with Dominic, I, I believe the most uncomfortable, comfortable part of his costume was the shoes because oh, yeah. he it was he was like balancing on these hooves but also like I mean Dominic is tall but <clears throat> Ember is super tall and so he was kind of like on not on stilts but it was kind of on stilts in a way but then it was like a hoof at the bottom and I know that those those walking around in that was really really uncomfortable um <clears throat> or painful even so I think that was probably the most uncomfortable part of the the costume um, I remember there was one day where his poor feet were just, oh gosh. I mean, he was such a champ, but, um, yeah, probably that, or I know with, uh, with Sean McGuire when he played, which is so funny because Sean McGuire played both the dark King and, um, the pig, uh, Sir Effingham. Oh yeah. And, <laughs> and he so, sing as the pig. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, I don't know that he was so hot cause he's dancing and, and he's in all this, I don't know, latex and whatever else was there. So. I think that was probably an uncomfortable costume as well because he was fully formed under this, you know, a two inch or an inch of like latex and glue and or whatever the heck they use for that stuff, plus the whole costume. Um, I don't know. I don't know what would be the most uncomfortable. I mean, there was elements of certain costumes like the fairy eye contacts. I know were not very comfortable. And of course, costumes and hair, everyone did everything they could to make everything as comfortable as possible. But there's a limit to <laughs> how yeah. comfortable it can be but everyone I was also like you you barely heard anyone complaining about it so I'm like trying to remember if anyone was just finally said ouch out loud so I could tell you which one was the yeah, post or maybe Effingham the frog guy yeah I don't know were there any scenes for you that stand out as like the most like technically difficult for you like maybe some of the fight scenes or you know, where you're doing a lot of special effects work, what was like, what were the hardest things to, because I don't think people appreciate like how 
much work goes into, you know, 43 minutes of television. It is hundreds of people working to create entire sets in a week. And it's just like, just, just to entertain people. It's amazing. I know. Yeah. So what like, is there anything that stands out for you? I remember that fight in like season five with uh, Summer was yeah yeah that was intense yeah it was um yeah I I mean like in terms of like difficulty probably probably like yeah the fight scenes um but only because of the amount of time that that went into it because of all the training we had beforehand um so yeah like there was so much that went into that scene um I mean obviously every department involved um but for for my own steps like you know, I, I, uh, Michelle C. Smith, who's this amazing, she actually, she's like kind of famous on the internet. She got famous. I didn't even know this at the time because of like her late light, lightsaber skills. Oh. And then I realized it was the same person. I was like, oh my God, the lightsaber woman is, is training me a knife. So yeah, I wanted to be really good with the knives because I just like that sort of thing. So she was giving me like private lessons in Vancouver leading up to the episode. Plus I was trying to encourage the writers to like give me more knife stuff. And I know that like, if you put in the work, they'll maybe like write it in more. So talking about like, you know, making things, doing the work to make things happen. So yeah, no, I practiced like hours and hours and hours with like the the little knife flourishes that I did, which of course in the final episode, like don't really see much of it, but that's bound to happen. Um, But that was hard. There were some moves I learned how to do with the knives, which were like really just physically difficult to do. Um, but Michelle like helped me so much. And then all the time, like um, Dan Shea, our stunt coordinator, um, all the stuff that he put together. And then, yeah, like I remember like Summer and I would be on the stage, you know, with the stunt, with the stunt um, men and women and with Dan and just doing it over and over. And I mean, it was a lot of fun. I absolutely, oh my gosh, like I want to do that so much more. I love that stuff, but it's also very, um, you know, physically demanding. And then on the day, yeah, it was just, like remember it because it's also like a choreography, you know, like yeah. remembering the moves themselves um, and then looking convincing, like looking like you're really like being aggressive and like, you know, swinging an arm out to stab somebody, but without actually physically hitting them and um, and and acting at the same time. But um, so maybe that was one of the more difficult. I mean, it was also one of my favorite things and I absolutely loved it. But um, yeah, that was probably one of the more like demanding things. And some of the stunts too, like I've been on like some strings being pulled back. You were dead hanging from a tree at one point. That didn't look very comfortable. I was, yeah. You know, it was actually my stunt double who did the oh. actual hanging. So there was like a shot from behind where she's hanging. And um, obviously there's an apparatus beneath there. Um, they didn't actually <laughs> 68 this poor woman. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, there's like an apparatus that they put around a person's torso, um, up through like the, the noose. And, um, I mean, there's, I can't explain all the mechanics of it. It's, it's pretty cool how, you know, props and everyone did that. Yeah. She was hanging. Um, I wanted to hang, wanted but to they wouldn't hang, let you, <laughs> but they wouldn't let me. And I think it was more because of time than anything else. Um, but yeah, so all the close-ups when I'm talking to Elliot in that scene and I have the noose around my neck for, for safety reasons, it was magnetic. And so it gave very, very easily. So I wouldn't actually be choked, but it was such a pain. I was like, can we just put a real noose around my neck? Like, <laughs> and, nope. Insurance and they were like, says, no, nope. and I was like, just choke me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we kept doing the scene and it kept falling off because again, like 
safety first and in props and everybody was always, always safety first, which I always agree with, except this one scene. I still stand by, they should have just noosed me because the damn thing, we were like finally like taking tape and like taping it around. Which and, completely uh, defeats the purpose of the magic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it's like so much, there's so much going on on sets. Like you guys also had a lot of animals that you'd be working yeah, with. Like like what do you have a favorite furry co-star like I know you have like the pregnancy bunny is my favorite thing yeah I have a few there was this one bunny um this little white bunny who Fen wakes up in a dream in the bunny's neck is slit and he was actually it's gonna sound so silly he was such a good actor bunny like there was something about him that like he was just he was just a good actor and he was so easy to work with I can't believe I'm saying this about a bunny um as an adult person talking about reality um but he oh my god I forgot his name oh my god oh my god I forgot his name this is so embarrassing I love this bunny I almost adopted him but because I had I was going back and forth between countries it didn't really make sense oh my god I feel like such a traitor I don't remember his name but he was definitely one of my favorites I would like when um the uh like the main animal like trainer wrangler um uh Bonnie would come to set I'd be like is um so God, I can't believe I, I feel so, I feel like I've forgotten a human being co-star's name right now. I forgot his name. Oh, I almost had it. Um, I'd be like, is he here? And sometimes I could go out, out to the truck or something and like go say hi to him if we weren't acting together that day. So my biggest emotional connection was probably to him, but I also really loved uh, the bear. We had a real bear on oh, set. Wow. Yeah, Summer got to work with him most. Um, she had an awesome scene with him. She, I don't think they were actually next to each other in the scene because of, I think that was, he was shot first and then he was taken out because it was literally, it's real, he's a real bear. Um, his name's Billy. And and then they put Summer in and then she was acting with a green screen. And, um, but he was there. And so I like have a, we, we were all like, he was in his little, you know, he's not like, he lives on a farm or something. These are all very well-treated animals, but to transport them, he was in kind of like one of those, you know, horse, you know, you see like- Yeah, the horse trailer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was like in a horse trailer thing. So yeah, I remember like getting to meet him, um, meet him. And that was cool. Being on set with an actual freaking bear. Was I love the, the sloth. Oh, and I the sloth. sloth. I would be, I, I would, that'd be hard for me as like an actor. Cause I'd be like, I want to play with the sloth. I get distracted. I know. Like you can't really play with the animals because they'll get distracted. They'll get, dist- especially the ones that the ones of more gosh, higher <laughs> intelligence, I guess, like they'll get distracted. Yeah. And so you can't, I mean, you can pick up a, you know. A bunny because he's he's gonna be he's not thinking about his cues like a like a dog would you know mm-hmm. but they don't want you to really distract the animals because they're they're very I don't know probably safety reasons too but yeah Abigail her real name was Sassy Sassy the sloth and um, that was so cool having us like Ser- Sergio who played um, Rafe uh, mm-hmm. he got so connected to Sassy the sloth in real life and they genuinely like had really good chemistry. I don't even know how that's physically possible, <laughs> but it was so cool. They were so good together. I loved that kind of one of those strange subplots. Is that like him and the sloth? There's there's something going on. <laughs> and there was. Yeah. They'd like do a take of him with Abigail. And I swear to God, like Sassy would just lean in right at the right time. And like Sergio would go with it and like say, pretend she was whispering to him and come back. And we'd be watching and be like, ha- how did how did it because you can't really like train a sloth necessarily to do that you gotta like bribe them with food yeah. like and he wouldn't even do that and she would just lean in and be like what is Sergio doing he's the sloth whisperer you should put that on his like special skills 
he on should his resume, like good with sloths. I should tell him, I should hit him up. I'd be like, you should put this on your resume. That's a good, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> so uh, sadly, Magicians is, the series is wrapped though. You know, I still want the spinoff with everyone in Fillory. <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> um, but so what, I mean, we've had a little like pause and a lot of production. So have yeah. you, what have you been doing any projects since then? Or has it just been like, I know you also write You're and yeah. you're part of the, um, I was at Clexicon with Mary oh. Chifo and she talked oh. about the bespoke plays. Oh, and, yeah. think, and so can you talk a little bit about this? Like, it's like a kind of play incubator for like mainly female playwrights and Mary is was amazing by the way like I love to say I love Mary so much um I cast her in my Xena reboot yeah would not she be like perfect as like a new Xena oh the second you said it I just the image was so yes that she would be perfect oh my gosh I love that for those listening who don't know Mary she's a plays Laurel on Star Trek Discovery she's and she is like six foot three yeah and she is like incredible and she was I, I did a panel with her at Oh, I got to be the moderator and uh she's just awesome and oh my god yeah. I was telling that I that I'm doing this with you she yeah but yeah can you talk about like bespoke plays and like what you're doing with that and playwriting yeah. yeah yeah bespoke was such a savior for me and and I think most of us during the the pandemic because yeah like the magicians got um got canceled it ended and mm-hmm. she and I started um, going out for, for projects again. And then two weeks after the magicians ended or was officially canceled, uh, the, the, the pandemic started. We're not saying the universe was punishing us for canceling the magicians, but the, you know, who knows? We're not saying it's not punishing. We don't maybe know. Maybe if we bring the magicians sure. back for season six, maybe this pandemic will go away. Yeah, there'll be no more variants. Putting that out there. Bring back the magicians. Um, <laughs> very sound uh, uh, science there. Yeah. Um, it's okay. We'll just try it for, for, for posterity. Um, uh, yeah. So, so, you know, the magicians ended and then two weeks later, the, the pandemic happened. So in terms of me acquiring new work, it didn't leave a lot of, um, space and room for that. And so because of that, you know, we just went right into lockdown and it was weird. I went from being on the series for all these years to all of a sudden, like everything dried up. There was like, there was one thing I was up for. Um, I mean, I ended up turning into nothing, but like even that audition process just like stopped, of course. But it was it was just kind of everything stopped, and I I can't remember how soon it was into the pandemic. Like maybe like a month. It wasn't very long, but we started. Yes, we have this thing, not we, but bespoke plays, um, where. It was it was a live thing, and I actually so my friends, uh, my uh, my my friend Christine Boylan um, was one of like the co-runners of it. She's she's a producer and a writer, and, and she's she's brilliant, and and she runs it with with um, with Ellie Pyle and Ryan McCurdy. I think they're the three people that run it. Um, but we would put on like play readings and stuff uh, in LA and in New York, and and they did other stuff too. I only got involved with it like literally a few days before the, the lockdown started or before I locked my, we, we locked ourselves down like probably a week before it was actually, um, you know, you had to do it because um, we're very cautious people. But um, like a few days before we locked ourselves down is when we did this live performance of a play reading um, in, in LA. And, and yeah, so like they take, um, it, it, it's an opportunity for like new playwrights and writers and and not even new like some some of these people have done tons of writing and to put it up and to do readings of it and so I did that and I actually was a musical it was called White Rock 
yeah, so I got to do this musical. And then I remember we were doing it at the Pico Theater. And then that night too, we all like, we went to a bar and we were already at the point where people were like, should we hug? Cause we still didn't know. This was like really, really early March. So people were like knowing that things were happening, but we weren't sure like how everything worked. And some people weren't hugging and some were, of course, nobody had masks yet or anything. And everything turned out fine from that evening, but it was literally like, I think a week and a half later that the lockdown started. And, um, but yeah, me and my fiance hold up a few days later after that. And, but then, so it was this, it, they do all this live stuff and they're actually getting back to it now, but um, like in a, in a really like safe way, but yeah. So a few weeks into the pandemic, they were like, why don't we do a virtual reading of, uh, I think it was one of LA's pilots and it was just supposed to be a one-time thing. And we like all, it also like people that are part of the group that are in New York and London and usually people that can all, only go sometimes cause they're out of town we all got to go together. And yeah, that's cool. It was so cool. And we read Ellie's pilot and it was so much, and it was oh, it's a fantasy pilot, actually speaking of fantasy. And it was so much fun. And then Ellie was, or somebody was like, okay, well, should we do this next week with somebody else's work? And it turned into not just plays, but like pilots, screenplays and stage plays. And, um, and yeah, so literally we did a different piece and a writer would be like, I have this piece. And then they would cast it from actors within the group. And a lot of us are actors and writers. And so during the pandemic, every single Sunday, um, we would all get on zoom and we would read, um, we would do like a table read essentially, but over zoom. And, um, and it was so amazing. It was like one of the main creative things I did during that time. Like I wrote my own first original pilot during that time, which we read, which was so much fun. And now I'm working on writing a play. I've written a couple short plays, but I've never written a full length play. It's very new territory. And so I'll see if it might get put up next year at the Pico in a stage reading, but I'm not, I'm not sure yet because that's not finished. <laughs> and I don't know if they'll like it. So, but yeah, so in it's writers for everybody. It's, it's definitely like, there's a lot of female writers that are involved in it, um, but it's actually a very diverse crew um, overall um, you know, everything. That's, that <laughs> sounds really cool. And how are things going on distribution for your like whiskey documentary? Cause this, oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, like, so, yeah. That was kind of going out to festivals. I know. And then we had a pandemic. <laughs> I know we had like this screening set up with like a live orchestra in Germany that we were supposed to do in like November, oh, 2020. No. And obviously that didn't happen. And so, yeah, we had to pivot a bit um but yeah we've been doing a lot of virtual screenings um where we have we also like have teamed up with all the like whiskey companies do you like send whiskey to the yeah oh, yeah that sounds fun yeah it's really cool like we've we've set up with certain a few different like distilleries but also yeah. like independent bottling companies to send actual like samples of whiskey and this beautiful i have nothing to do with this beautiful packaging that some people on our team and the bottling companies have put together and you like sign up for the screening and they'll send you, um, you can just do the screening or you can, you know, uh, opt in to do the, the tasting as well. And then you get the, the whiskey sent to you ahead of time with like the tasting information. And then you taste the stuff along with the movie. And then in the movie, we kind of tell you when to taste what, cause we were gonna do that in person with tastings. And um, there's some just people on our team that are very clever and very, um, crafty like like you know like art arts and stuff and they put this together but now we've done a few in-person screenings I haven't been to one yet because they're they're kind of all over the world because there's a lot of Euro, Europe stuff 
um, going on with that. But we're also in the middle of a really cool deal. I don't know. I don't think I could say anything yet, but we're in the middle of a really cool deal right now. Um, a distribution thing that should, pro so people can see it wide very soon on a very cool channel. And so, yeah, so I don't think I can fingers say crossed for you, but yeah, yeah for, I, that, just in the process, but yeah. I can't say it yet, but it's going to yeah. be really cool. <laughs> for, for listeners who are like, wait, what are they talking about? This is a documentary oh, yeah. that you, you and Jade Taylor really produce cool. called The Water of Life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's about whiskey. And so it's like, yes. I, I can't wait to see it. I'm going to see if I can sign up to get whiskey sent to me. <laughs> yeah, let me see if we have what, what screenings we have coming up next that have like, we're virtual screenings with the, with the tasters and stuff. Uh, I know it's like water of life means nothing to anybody. Yeah. And we yeah. started that my, my friend Greg Swartz, it's, it's, it's his baby and he directed it and he, um, he produced it and he brought me on years ago to do it with him. I've known him since I was a teenager and, uh, and I was like, hell yeah. Cause I wanted to start producing more and I love whiskey and I love documentaries. And, uh, yes, yeah, so we went to Scotland and, um, we feel mostly in Scotland, but a bit in England and some other countries as well. And, uh, and yeah, what it, it was, oh my gosh. That was like one of the funnest things I've ever done. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for my final question, you said that you were a Disney fan and we're talking about a non-magical character surrounded by magical people. So have you seen Encanto yet? Oh my God. No, but James and I are obsessed with capybaras and I know that there's a capybaras yes, in it. And I was like, oh my God, capybaras are finally getting the respect they deserve. Yes. And so, no, I haven't seen it. Have you seen it? We, I saw it yesterday with my, it was the first movie I've been to with my daughter since before the pandemic. The last movie was Cats. Oh. Oh. Um, so <laughs> I made my whole family go see Cats. I didn't see it, but birthday. I heard it wasn't everyone's favorite. I, I made my whole family go with me for my birthday. It's fantastic. Um, maybe that's what caused pandemic. Um, <laughs> it was, but no, my daughter loved it and she um it's it's a really wonderful I mean it's Disney it's Lin-Manuel Miranda like just be ready to cry it oh, was Lin-Manuel Miranda who oh well, music I, and so no, it's going to be extra good it's visually like stunning so but yeah it has just kind of been reminds me kind of of Mirabelle because you know they're the, yeah. the like and their magic because you know comes from the way that they support others and all sorts of great stuff so you'll cry just I mean you're getting I have the chills in my legs already yeah. as you're speaking I I've seen the trailer yeah. and even in the trailer I started to tear up because I was like what a wonderful message and a wonderful thing and I didn't even think about the ties to Penn thank you for yeah no I'm even more excited to see I it. yeah I hope you enjoy it um I certainly did oh, you I know li listeners I highly recommend it like, it was a great first movie back and my, even my little daughter, like she's finally becoming really, in, she's six. How old? Okay, cool. She's like really becoming like emotionally involved. It's like, she, she cried. She's like, mom, why am I crying? Like, <laughs> I don't like this. I'm upset. It's like, it's okay. You're like, well, buckle up lady. Cause you yeah. have a life of tears. And then she's like, <laughs> I watched Raya, the last dragon that made me cry too. What's going on? Like, it's good. Like, what are these emotions? Art supposed to make you cry, like, or make you feel, you know, and Mm -hmm. bringing it back to the magicians like that was I cried so much like so many episodes you know yeah. my I can't listen to take on me like I hear oh. like like that song and like now just like that was one of my favorite moments ever of the mm -hmm. whole series was the morning for Quentin with that song it's like cool. perfect musical moment just perfect use of music Ugh, such a good it's funny you yeah. say that particularly because at the table read um 
we, you know, we were doing the table read for that episode and it was already emotional because of the story and people because of the story itself, but they also, what they'll do sometimes at the, at the table reads is they will play on like a, you know, a stereo. God, that makes me sound so old. Um, <laughs> yeah, on, on the record, see? Um, but they play like on the, they, they play, um, or maybe it was on someone's computer. That's probably what, I don't know why I just had an image of a stereo. I just went back like to boom box. <laughs> yeah, I was literally imagining a boom box. And I was like, no, it was on a computer with like an iTunes link or something. But they played, we would do the, the table read. And then the moment in the scene where the song starts, everyone would stop talking. And then like, almost like in the show, they would start, they started playing the song. They would do this for some of the songs that like they had access to already or that we'd already pre-recorded. Um, so as much as they could, they'd bring that, the music into the table read as much as was physically possible. So I remember they played, obviously it wasn't with the actor's voices, but I think it was like the, I don't know, it was the arrangement or something yeah. of that version of Take On Me. And I was already emotional in the table read because of the nature of the story. And I just get really connected to things. And we started playing the song and I just started like bawling. I mean, I was trying to hold it in so that I wasn't obnoxiously crying over everyone trying to hear the story and the song. But I remember like being like sobbing to myself and like being genuinely really sad. And like, I remember even Arjun after was like, are you good? And I was like, oh yeah. I was like, I was just made me really sad. And, and I, uh, yeah, that was a tough table read. I also didn't want to like be sobbing in front of, I mean, I'm sobbing in front of everybody enough as it is, as fat. And like, I didn't want to be doing it as Brittany at the table read, but yeah, ever since that, that song, I just, yeah, and it was the like, perfect song, whoever picked it. Um, it was so perfect. And like now, every time I listen to that, the lyrics, I'm like, oh God, it's just, it was just such a beautiful moment about like magic and processing and growing up and grief and yeah, yeah beautiful show. So yeah you know, the, the kudos to you and the writers everyone who worked on magicians it was a wonderful gift of a show and I'm really excited to rewatch it thankfully it's finally like it would take forever to for seasons to get on Netflix oh I know I like, know it would oh, it took almost a full year yeah for the, like, so but now it's all I think it's all on Netflix now I think it is all on Netflix now but yeah, yeah it, it was like like oh, every year I'd be like what I, I want to rewatch why is it not <laughs> And you're like, get it on there. I never yeah. love to rewatch things. It was such a fun show to be on. It was so, it was so now, especially now that times past, I like look back and like, I'm just getting super extra nostalgic about it because now that a couple of years have passed, I'm like, oh my God, like it feels so recent, but it feels so far, especially because of what's happened in between. And I was just looking at pictures of <laughs> one mm -hmm. of our, one of, I don't know, some behind the scenes pictures that I had taken the other day. And I was like, oh my God, I just got like super nostalgic for it and missed it quite a bit, but what a, what a lovely, what a lovely period in, in life having done that yeah. show. And as we said, we, we'll, we'll get season six and end the pandemic. So yeah, get, yeah, on, exactly. get on that sci-fi. Come on. I you know. Do canceled. your magic sci-fi. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on and being a guest. This is it's so fun. Lovely to talk to you as always. And um, people can follow you on social media. You're just Brittany Coran on yeah. Twitter, right? Yeah, Twitter and Instagram is just my name. Awesome. And yeah, let us know what you think of Encanto. Oh, I will. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Real Magic. As always, if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review and make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to, to your podcasts. If you have questions or suggestions, you can email us at realmagicpod at gmail.com. And of course, follow us on Twitter at realmagicpod. 
I'm also on Twitter at FangirlingJess. We will be back in two weeks with another magical episode. So until then, stay safe, continue to have a wonderful, safe, happy, healthy holiday season, and remember, maybe bringing back the magicians is going to be what ends the pandemic. Doesn't hurt to try. Bye. Goodbye. Bye bye. Goodbye, cruel world. Bye bye, cruel world. Goodbye to life. Bye bye. bye. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye to all that.